That was pathetic. Good morning. There we go. Pastors are people too. Hey, um, man, if you've been around Gospel Hope for any season of time for the last couple of years, we like to always start out our year kind of reminding ourselves of what unites us together. So we want to do that again this year by starting a brand new series today that we are calling Kingdom First. Um, and part of being part of being kingdom first means that we are united in our mission. So let's see how well we can do on this pop quiz here. See how smart you Gospel Hope folks are. So our mission at Gospel Hope is to. That's terrible. I've prepared today my letter of resignation as your pastor. Our mission is to make disciples, very good, who are growing in the, as a, while on. So what that means is our mission is to make disciples, help people take their next spiritual step. And a person who is following Jesus well means that they're growing in three relationships. They're growing in the, growing in the, this is participatory, all right? This is just, just FYI. They're growing in the, that's their relationship with God. They're growing as a, that's their relationship with other believers. And they're growing while on, that's their relationship with the world. So over the next four weeks, we're going to be emphasizing this idea of kingdom first, that we are growing in the gospel as a family while on mission. That's part of what it means to keep the kingdom first. We're going to be emphasizing this from a series from the book of Acts. So can you lead in this morning? And really hear from the Lord what he has to say. Our text this morning is going to be Acts chapter 2, verse number 42. One verse and the title of the message for those of you taking notes and receiving your special crowns in heaven for that is devoted. So can we pray before we start here? Father, we do acknowledge that the name of Jesus is worthy. You are worthy, Lord of all honor and glory and dominion and power, both now and forevermore. You are king. You reign, you rule. And in this place, Lord, I pray that you would make your kingdom first. That the priorities of our heart, that our agendas, that our purposes would be centered around the king. Lord, we need you. We acknowledge our dependence. We acknowledge that our hands are empty. Lord, I pray you would give us a posture of leaning in. Lord, our arms are open, our hands are open, our mouths are open. We ask that you would fill them today. Speak, O oh God, for your servants are listening. Hide me behind the cross, get me out of the way. Draw more attention to Jesus than to me today. In his precious name we pray. All God's people said. Now, I'm a basketball fan. I'm a, I was a gym rat growing up. My dad was a basketball coach. So in 2018, and I'm from Chicago, when Loyola University of Chicago made a tournament run, I was pretty excited. In the NCAA March Madness Tournament, how many of you watched this? Okay, we're going to start a discipleship program for those of you that do not. 
In the 2018 March Madness Tournament of Men's College Basketball, the number 11 seed Loyola University of Chicago, the Cinderella of Cinderella's, made upset after upset after upset, making it all the way to the final four. 68 teams began down to four, and this little scrappy school from Chicago advanced all the way to the last four teams. What was interesting about their tournament run is during that time, this figure arose to prominence. You know who I'm talking about. I'm going to put her up on the screen right now. This is none other than, anybody know her name? Sister Jean. That's right. Sister Jean was the boys basketball, the men's basketball chaplain, and had been serving in that role since the 1990s. She'd actually been associated with Loyola since the 1960s. And in this picture right here, she is 98 years old and went to every single game. A few years later, 2022, Loyola again made the March Madness Tournament. And guess who was on the sidelines? Sister Jean at 103 years old, still serving as the chaplain of the boys basketball team. You know what I say about that? That's devotion. Now, I bring this up because in this passage of Scripture today, that idea of devotion is mentioned multiple times. In Acts chapter 2, verse number 42, look at the screen with me, if you would. It says, they, what's it say, church? Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And again, just a few verses later, it says, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. So the early church was not devoted to a college sports team, but rather to a set of priorities and practices. It seems to me as you read the book of Acts and as the story unfolds, these early believers fully embodied the words of the Savior found in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33, seek first the kingdom of God. These people were devoted not to their own agendas, not to their own priorities, not to their own preferences. They were rather devoted to the kingdom of God. Or if I could put it a very simple way, kingdom people embody the king's priorities. Kingdom people embody the king's priorities. That is, if you are a kingdom person, that means that your agenda aligns with the one who is king. If you are a follower of Christ, if you say Christ is my master, Christ is my Lord, Christ is my king, then his priorities also should be your priorities. That's part of what it means to seek first the kingdom. This was true for followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, and our hope is that would be true of this local body as well. Now, the last couple of years, though, have brought some challenges to keeping the kingdom first. We have been in a time period of unprecedented change in our society. We've come through a global pandemic. We've endured round after round of deeply polarizing political cycles. We're seeing major cultural shifts in our society. And we, right here at Gospel Hope Church, are in the midst of the merger of two distinct congregations. There is a lot of change going on. 
in the midst of change like this, it can be very tempting to dig in your heels. Everything's changing around me. So I better hold firmly to my preferences, my priorities, my ideas, my agenda. I got to look out for me. I got to protect me. But what the early chapters of the book of Acts reminds us of is a fundamental reality. Listen to this church very carefully. Only the kingdom counts. No matter what changes are going on in your life or in our society or in your family, at the end of the day, it is not your priorities that ultimately matter. It is not your preferences that you should be looking out for. It is the preferences and the priority and the agenda of the king. Only the kingdom counts. This is part and parcel of what it means to be kingdom first people. Now, let me unpack that just a little bit. Remember the setting of Acts chapter 2. Like us, the early Christians, the early followers of Jesus were facing a season of unprecedented change. Think about the disciples for just a moment. The disciples were going through these tectonic shifts of everything they knew. First, they're following Jesus. This little band of people is following Jesus and he dies. Is that a big deal? Well, fortunately... Short time later, he rises again. Is that a big deal? And then he leaves. Is that a big deal? And then he pours out his spirit. Is that a big deal? And then we get to Acts chapter 2 and something unbelievable happened. This band of people, these 12 disciples, about 120 other of them, following Jesus, they go out and Peter preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost. All these fishermen from Galilee, they're basically from one region of the world, one region of Israel, as it were. Peter gets up and preaches a sermon. And on that day, look at what the text says happens. Acts chapter 2, verse number 9. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, those who are from Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God's in our own tongue. And then look what happens. Skip down to verse number 41. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Talk about a paradigm shift. So Peter, James, and John, they're like, yeah, man, I'm glad we're boys. Us Galileans, you know. And they're following Jesus and they're buddies. And then Peter gets up and preaches. And all of a sudden, people from all over the world, not like five or six of them, 3,000 of them start following Jesus. Is this a season of change for them? Do you think there were some challenges in the midst of that season of change? Do you think they always saw eye to eye about how to get things done? Yes or no? No. Do you think there was some hills to climb and some battles to fight? Yes or no? Do you think there was some times where disappointment and discouragement sat in because they didn't know what to do with all this new stuff? Yes or no? And yet, in midst of all that change, a global worldwide movement is born. And in real reality, because of what happened in Acts chapter 2, we sit here today. So how did they hold it together? How did they hold it together in the midst of all these significant shifts and changes? How did they keep a organic or organized movement of the gospel going forward? I think at one point, at one level, the answer is this. They kept the kingdom first. The priorities of the kingdom kept them together. Look, sometimes we look at change 
And as I said, we right now, I, look, look, full transparency, I'm feeling, this is like the message for Pastor Ryan right now. We look at all the change that's going on in our society, in our lives, in our church, in our world, in our city. And we say, I don't know what, I, I don't know how I can hold this together. I don't know what I'm going to do. Let me remind you of a fundamental principle, and it is this. The uncertainty of the times do not limit the authority of the Savior. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but he does. You know, God's never been frustrated. That is a feeling he is completely unfamiliar with. He's never wrung his hands. He's never lost sleep. He's never not know what to do next. The Lord has always been in authority and it doesn't matter how uncertain I am or you are, we can trust that the king's got it under control. Which means, friends, the only way we're gonna navigate all the change going on in our world, in our lives, in our church is by keeping the kingdom first. His priorities gotta be our priorities, which leads me to my point this morning, simply this, we must keep the kingdom first, that's it. We've got to do that. We must keep the kingdom first. But that raises the question, what does it look like to keep the kingdom first? Because here's the thing. The early church was devoted and in so doing, they kept the kingdom first. But did you know that devotion in and of itself is not a virtue? You can be devoted to bad things. How many of you are a little too devoted to Oreos? My mom makes these cookies for Christmas and it contain, it's like every ounce of self-control in me not to eat the whole plate. You know, you got some people that are devoted to bad things. Pastor Rod's not even here today. He's preaching. He's doing the Lord's work somewhere and he's devoted to Popeye's. <laughs> we will begin the process of church discipline. Yes, that's right. You know, and on a serious note, you can be devoted to a life of crime. Be devoted to sin. Devotion in and of itself is not a virtue. But when you're devoted to the right things, when you're devoted to the king's priorities, that's where the spirit of God often begins to work. And that's what we see in this passage here. We see a group of believers who are devoted to the king's priority. They're keeping the kingdom first. So how do we do that? What are the things that the church, the early church was devoted to that we too should be devoted to? I'm so glad you asked. I got three points in a poem. So follow along with me here. How do you keep the kingdom first? Number one, devotion to the word. First thing you notice about these early Christians is their commitment to the word. Look at the text again, Acts chapter two, verse number 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. These early believers were not ambivalent or conflicted about the word. They were devoted. A central part of their life together was the hearing of the apostles' teaching of the word of God. And this was not an occasional affair. This was not something like, ah, I could take it or leave it. Or every now and again, look at what it says in verse number 46. Every day, 
They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. These believers were gathering to hear the apostles teach on a daily basis. They were downright fanatical about the intake of the word of God into their lives. Sadly, this is not always the case in the United States of America. 57% of Americans, the, the data tells us, rarely or seldom attend church. In fact, in good old Atlanta here, only about 19% of people in our Atlanta area say that they regularly attend church. Uh, what is more, uh, more statistical data tells us this, only about one third of Protestant church attenders, listen to this, so look around the room here, okay? So even people that are like, yeah, I go to church, only about one in three of you actually, if this data is right, read the Bible on a regular basis. I mean, that's, that's staggering. So over half of people don't ever come to church. You know, only about 19% of people say like, I regularly go to church. And, and by the way, people like tend to lie about these things too. They're like better than themselves. And, and, and even kind of like the green berets, the people that are regularly in church don't often open up the Bible. Here is one that is maybe the most depressing on any given day, evangelical Christians in the U.S. are twice as likely to open social media as their Bible. It is more likely that we would open Facebook or Instagram or TikTok than open the Word of God. And in some places, if the preacher goes a minute after 12 o'clock, he's in danger of a mass exodus. Thankfully, that's not true here because I'm getting close already. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting that Rod and I are gonna start like a daily church service over here in the courtyard. Although I think Pastor Rod, like, Carrie, you think like Rod would probably be down with that, don't you? Like when I said that, I was like, I think Rod would be like, can we do that? Is that okay? But what I am saying, my idea is simply this. I, I, I feel like we need to have a devotion to the word if we're to keep the kingdom first. These brothers and sisters made themselves devoted to the word. They didn't have all the access to the word like we had it today, but we need to have a devotion to God's word. These believers, and I believe we too should be convinced of the words of the Savior. Matthew chapter four, verse number four. Man must not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Just as we value physical food to sustain our lives, we must even more value spiritual food to sustain our spiritual life. And this has always been the case. Think back to the creation account, right? God creates the sky. Does he speak to the sky? Yes or no? No. God creates the trees. Does he speak to the trees? Yes or no? No. God creates the fish and the birds. Does he speak to the fish and the birds? Yes or no? No. God creates the animals. Does he speak to the animals? Yes or no? No. And then God creates man, and the first thing he does is speak to them. We were meant to be revelation receivers. God created human beings to hear his voice. Or if I could put it very simply, you, we navigate God's world by listening to God's voice. 
That's the only way you can navigate this world. The only way you can make sense of this world is by listening to the voice of God. And like the early disciples, listening to it earnestly, listening to it regularly, having a posture of leaning in and saying, speak, O Lord, for your servant is listening. As 2 Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good works. You cannot be whole, brother and sister, unless you listen to the word. The word is what makes us complete. Friends, the word is precious. And if we are devoted to anything in our lives, it should be to hearing the word of God. Just listen to the description of the Bible's own description of itself. Psalm chapter 19. Listen to what the psalmist says. Look up at the screen if you would with me. I'm going to point to you and you say the word when I point. The instruction of the Lord is renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than the abundance of pure gold and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. If you want to build your life on anything, If you want to hear anything, let it not be the constant stream of the news cycle or your social media feed. Build your life. Open your ears to the perfect, trustworthy, right, radiant, pure, reliable word of God. Friends, kingdom people must be profoundly shaped by and saturated with the scripture. I love what it said of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress. Prick him anywhere and his blood will be bibline. Let that be said of me that if you prick me, the word comes out. Let us be a group of people, a body of believers that in 2023 and in the years to come is devoted to the word. Could that be said of you? Are you a person who is saturated, not sprinkled with, saturated with the word of God. Number two, not only were these early disciples devoted to the word, they were devoted to fellowship. Look again in Acts chapter two, verse number 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Huh. These early Christians were not just committed to hearing the word of God taught, they were, to be sure, but they were committed to one another. Listen, they didn't just share a common set of beliefs. They shared their lives. This is what makes Christianity different than other ideologies. It's not a political party. It's not Kiwanis or Rotary Club. You don't just share some beliefs together about how things should get done. No, you actually share your entire life with these other people. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Now, all the believers were together. I mean, we could stop right there. All the believers were together. 
And they held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. These early believers were together. Now, some might hear that and say, but Ryan, that was a different time, a different place, a different context, a different culture. Things were different back then, and I agree with you. However, there are certain principles, there are certain applications that should be true for all believers everywhere. I would argue that just like these early believers, we should be devoted to fellowship might not look exactly the same as it looked for them, but there should be a devotion to fellowship in our lives because it is rooted in a theological reality. You say, what do you mean by that, Ryan? Well, look at 1 John chapter 1. Here's what it says. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you. So this is John, the apostle, saying, I- I've seen and heard of the work of Jesus. And I'm declaring to you the gospel. Now notice what he says. Put your theological thinking caps on here for just a moment. So that you may also have fellowship with us. So I'm declaring the gospel to you so that you would have fellowship with us. And then he makes one more statement. And our fellowship, waiting, There it is. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. All right. There's a lot there. So let me try to illustrate this with a little bit of an object lesson. So let's see. Lawrence, Kayla, JT. There we go. You three. Come on. Let's see. So these guys are going to come up here, and they are going to represent the Trinity. Okay, I know, it's rough, it's rough. Turn around, face to face everybody else, all right? This is not heretical, I promise. Okay, so. So did you know that theologically, the Bible teaches us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have eternally been in fellowship with one another? They've never needed anything. They've never lacked for anything. They've been eternally happy in their fellowship with one another. God didn't create humanity because he was lonely. God created humanity because he was loving. That is, he wanted to share the rich fellowship that he had with one another with humanity. And that's what he did. Amazingly, that is what he did. So come on, Doria. You get penalized if you sit on the front row, right? (laughs) So here's the thing. So here's Doria. Let's pretend Doria is not a believer. And here's the Trinity forever fellowshipping happily with one another. What John is saying in that passage is this. If I trust in Jesus, I have fellowship with the Trinity. That's good. I have been invited into this eternal fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and that is happy. And then if Doria also trusts in Jesus, come on. Put your arms on one another like we're having a kumbaya moment here. Suddenly, Doria is also invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. And now guess who else has fellowship? Me and Doria. Whoa. So when it says in the early church that they were devoted to the fellowship, it's not just talking about me and Doria being buddies. 
It's saying they are, they are taking advantage of the blood-bought gift that the people of God have been given to enjoy fellowship with the Trinity, which spills over into fellowship with one another. Amen? Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a seat. Now, listen. Do you know any unbelievers? You know how many sociologists describes our world right now? Crowded loneliness. People are looking for love in all the wrong places because they know that there is some, there's a gap. There's some sort of deficiency. And then you come in here and these people that you barely know, you're like, man, I just love them. I can't even explain it. I'm not sure I like them, but I love them. Because that's what family is, right? I mean, sometimes I don't like my sister, but I love my sister. And we have this fellowship that's been given us to the work of Jesus. And the early church says, we're in, we're devoted to that. These are my people. Because they are my father's people. They are my brothers and sisters. We like to say around here, church is not like a family. It is a family. Brothers and sisters, if we're to be kingdom first people, you must love the people of the kingdom. These have got to be your people. Some of us specialize in isolation and walls. And can I say this very kindly? That's sub-Christian. God didn't make you to live that way. You were not intended to go it alone. You were not intended to be isolated from other believers. You say, Ryan, that is hard work. Yes. But it's good work. It's kingdom work. Listen, we have been given community with one another through our communion with Christ. The fact that these people are your people is a blood-bought gift. Let us not take it lightly. The implication is this. Look, when you believe, you also belong. Right then. When you believe, you also belong. You know, Another analogy that we often use here at Gospel Hope to describe this is, is this. You've heard me say it probably a dozen times if you've been around very long. Christianity is a team sport. That is, you can't play it by yourself. It's not like tennis. It's not like golf. You have to play it with other people. I hear, I don't know, is there like a football game this week or something? Like something happening? Yes? Okay, yeah. So let's suppose your boy... Old Stetson Bennett, quarterback of the Georgia football Bulldogs. <laughs> the Lord is king, right? <laughs> Let's not get sloppy theologically, Marcus, right? Let's say, let's say that Stetson goes out and has the game of his life. No amens, huh? All right, all right, yeah. He throws for 400 yards. He rushes for another 100, and the Bulldogs lose 42 to 0. Now, it would not be appropriate if Stetson comes into the locker room. Yeah, yeah. Boys, I killed it. I killed it. Come on, I killed it. And he's going around, high-fiving, thump, chest thumping. No, he would not do that. Why? Because football is a 
Doesn't matter your individual stat line. If your team loses, you don't contribute to the victory. Your individual stats are somewhat irrelevant. And the same is true in Christianity. It is a team sport. The we needs to be greater than the me. Your walk with Jesus is not just about you rocking on Bible trivia. Your walk with Jesus is not just about you feel like this personal sense of well-being. Now, I'm not saying those things are untrue, but all the ships in the harbor need to rise. We need to get our eyes off of just me and look at the we. Say, is my walk with Jesus helping other people grow in their walk with Jesus, or am I not devoted to fellowship? Are there people in your life that are taking their next spiritual step? Listen, because they know you. I think that's what it means to be devoted to fellowship. It's we, it's not me. We is greater than me. Number three, the early church was not just devoted to the word. They were not just devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to prayer. Look one more time at the text. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, in the Greek, um, the article is before this word prayer, and it's actually plural. So it could accurately be translated the prayers. Some theologians believe that that means that the early church was devoted or they were in the practice of regularly gathering together for the Jewish prayer times throughout the day. So they would like come together to pray together. Well, I think that may be the case, but whatever the case, these believers were dedicated to praying with one another. Sometimes we think about prayer as just us praying on our own or getting in their closet. And, and there's an appropriate time and place for that. But when you read through the New Testament and particularly in the book of Acts, you don't see these individual prayers. What you see is a picture of the church praying with and for one another on a regular basis. For instance, Acts chapter four, verse 31, the church prays and the word is boldly preached. Acts chapter six, verse six, the church appoints deacons so that the apostles can regularly pray together. Acts chapter eight, verse number 15, prayer accompanies an awakening in Samaria. Acts chapter nine, verse number 11, Saul is led to pray before God commissions him as an apostle. Acts chapter 9, verse number 40, Peter prays over a woman and she is raised from the dead. Acts chapter 10, verse number 9, prayer precedes the expansion of the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 12, verse number 12, prayer results in the release of Peter from prison. Acts chapter 13, verse number 3, the church prays over the first missionaries as they are commissioned. Acts chapter 14, verse number 23, new church leaders are appointed and prayed over. Acts chapter 16, verse number 25, Paul and Silas are sustained in prison through prayer and worship, and the list goes on. Prayer was central to the early church's spiritual life as breathing is to our physical life. And friends, this is simply God's way. As Pastor Vance Pittman said, when we seek God in prayer, we experience him in power. Look, it is this conviction that causes us to set aside usually some significant moments in our Sunday morning gathering to pray together. 
You're like, man, Pastor Ryan, we only have like a limited time together. Why do we take time to pray? Because that is central to our life together. It's not like auxiliary or a bonus. It's like critical. And if we as a church want to see a move of God in our city, in our communities, in our world, we must seek the face of God. You say, what about unbelievers? What if they come in here and they see us praying together? Good. Because maybe they have a question about what it means to pray and maybe they want to know what it's like to pray themselves. Look, we have relegated sadly in our prayer times often to transition moments. We just use prayer to get the stage reset. And I'm not against that. I'm not saying it's wrong if we're praying and somebody's moving. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, prayer should not just be a, a, a little thing that we use so that we can, we can have a more smooth service. No, prayer should be ringing the bells of heaven so that we're seeking the face of God because friends, we are dependent people. We need God. So as long as Rod and I are leading, our heart's desire is that we would be a church that doesn't just say that, hey, we're dependent children and prayer is an aspirational value. We want it to be actually part of what you do. By the way, it's a little messy. By the way, do you notice we don't let the kids go until after we pray? That's intentional. Because we want the little ones to know that prayer is part of what Christians do. Prayer is central to the life of God's people together. Is it inconvenient? Yes. Does it feel awkward? Yes. Do you sometimes not know people? Yes. Why were the disciples tempted to fall asleep all the time when Jesus, because it's hard. But seldom are things easy that are worth doing. And we want to be a people that are devoted, not to the word. I think we got that pretty well at Gospel Hope Church. Like people are like, man, this is like, there's a lot of word. Like you're talking for a long time. But we want to equally be known as a group of people who seek the face of God. Don't you want that? It's hard. You got to lean in. You got to work at it. You got to come ready to participate, not just be passive. It's easy to come to church and be like, well, Ryan better preach a good sermon today. Checking out. Hope he makes me laugh at some point. It's Rod's, Rod's specialty. But no, you come to participate by saying, I'm coming to be with the people of God, to lean in and devote ourselves to the prayers that we gather together and seek God. Look, listen to this statement very carefully. Prayer is not simply preparation for ministry. Prayer is ministry. I understand when we say let's prepare our hearts for worship, but you know everything that we do here is worship. Singing is worship, praying is worship, giving is worship, preaching is worship, it's all worship. So when you come to church in one sense, you don't just come to be ministered to, I hope that's true, but you also come to minister to others. I've said this many times, like who are the ministers at Gospel Hope Church? All of us. Oh, y'all is the correct pronunciation. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Pastor Rod and I have a distinct role in leading our congregation and we're honored by that. But who ministers at our church? Every member of the body of Christ. And the reality is, is if we don't get in the game, then the church is not healthy like it should be. 
It's like my left arm taking a day off. Sure, I might get some things done, but it's not gonna operate at high capacity. All of us need to be in the game. And part of the way that we do that is prayer. So what happens when the early church is devoted to the word and devoted to fellowship and devoted to prayer? Glad you ask. Verse number 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Listen to this, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for the city of Avondale Estates to say, we are glad you guys are here. Man, we, will, we don't know what we'd do if you guys weren't in our community. Don't you long for Decatur and Tucker and Stone Mountain and Atlanta to say, man, we are thankful for Gospel Hope Church, enjoying the favor of all the people. Why? Because the Spirit of God is moving there. There's something inexplicable that the Spirit of God is doing. And then did you notice that? And every day people are added to their number. I, I, I just want to keep this baptismal like on. Like I'm fine with the extra expense of the heating it up. That's fine. Cool. Let's just keep people seeing a relationship with Jesus coming to know the Savior and following him. Every day the Lord added to their number. How does that happen? They kept the kingdom first. And get all down in the weeds and things that really didn't matter. My preferences, my agenda, my purposes, my prayers. No, word and prayer and fellowship. We give ourselves to these things. Because friends, look, Jesus died to change our priorities. I'm selfish. I don't know about you. You know who's Ryan McCammick's biggest fan? It ain't Trisha. It's me. I love me some me. You know who thinks he does the best job ruling and reigning in my heart? Me. And my guess is you think you do the best job in your life as well. Here's the good news. Jesus didn't just come to rescue. He did. He did, praise God. But he came to reign. Jesus came not just to be your savior, but to be your sovereign, be your king. Say, I call the shots, I run the show. Man, you make it a mess of that little kingdom you call your life. Why don't you slide on off the throne? Let me sit here for a while, see what happens. King Jesus reigns. He came to take his rightful place on the throne, not just of the universe, but the throne of your heart in one sense to rule and reign over you so that you can be a kingdom first person. You know what the kingdom's made up of? It's made of kingdom people. So let that begin with you. Let that begin with me. Let that begin with us. That together in 2023, we would seek first the kingdom together. Let me close with three very practical applications. I said the church was devoted to three things, right? Devoted to the word. And if you've not joined us this year in reading the Bible, let me encourage you to do so. It's not too late. It's not too late. We're only at the eighth. You can catch up. There's a QR code right up here on the screen. If you have yet to get signed up to read the Bible, we would really love for you to join in reading God's word with us. They're up there on the screen. There's also some hard copies in the back. If you have trouble get signing up, don't walk out of here and be like, well, I couldn't get signed up. Stop. 
this is important enough for you to take a moment. Come talk to me, man. I will help you with this. Just pause. Let's read the Bible. Wouldn't it be good? Wouldn't it be good if a bunch of us, like it'd be good if all of us in here had read the whole Bible together this year. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Just We just soaked ourselves in the word a little bit more. Let's read the Bible. Second thing, devoted to prayer. This week is prayer week. So we've got about, there's about 10 different prayer gatherings throughout the week. You should have got a handout when you came in. If you didn't get one, you can stop by the Connect Center or right out here. There's a one pager that tells you all the prayer gatherings. Tonight, we're gonna gather right here at 545. Let me, can we have like this many people here? That'd be awesome. Awana's going on, students going on, so you can drop your kids off. You can come over and for an hour and 15 minutes, we got one agenda, we're gonna pray. That's it, we're gonna pray together. So be here tonight. We have several really great things throughout the week. Pastor Ron's gonna be teaching on prayer on Monday night. Throughout the week, there's a bunch of gatherings. There's gatherings for the worship team on one night. There's gathering for students and their parents on one night. Just say, hey, this week, I'm gonna kind of start the year off right. I'm gonna seek God's face. I'm gonna do it with God's people. I know it's not super inconvenient. We're not asking you to do this 52 weeks a year. We're asking you to do it one. Let's seek the Lord in prayer. And then third, to fellowship. And I can't think of another better way to celebrate the union that we have together by then remembering the Lord's table together. And we celebrate that as we close out this morning. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you've turned away from your sins and put your hope in King Jesus, man, we wanna invite you to participate. Because what this symbolizes, this bread and this cup symbolizes not only our relationship with God, but our relationship with one another. It's called communion for a reason. And we do it together for a reason. So if you have trusted in Jesus, man, we would love for you to participate with us this morning. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, man, we'd encourage you just to pass that on. Now that's just not a hard exclusion. If you have questions about that or don't understand what I'm talking about, man, I would encourage you, would you have a, would you have a conversation with me? Would you have a conversation with somebody sitting by you? Hey, what does this all mean? We would love to talk to you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and what it means to have communion with his people. Over in the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the Lord's table in this way. Verse number 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So I'm gonna take a moment and just thank the Lord for his broken body. If you didn't get a communion cup, can you just raise your hand? We have some ushers passing those out right now. I'll just take a moment. If you did, just quietly reflect on the work of the Savior on your behalf.
Let's pray together. Father, we pause right now. We reflect on the broken body of Christ. In our place, condemned he stood. He took the wrath that we deserved and we get his righteousness in our place. Thank you, Father, for the broken body of Jesus. Lord, right now we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for taking lightly that sacrifice. Forgive us for not living in light of the fact that Jesus is our King. We ask for cleansing. We ask for forgiveness. We ask that we would turn away in repentance from anything that displeases you. Thank you for this reminder that Jesus lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. We trust in him this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's eat together. Scripture goes on to say, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's once again pray together. Father, we thank you for the spilled blood of Jesus and that in one fell swoop, he did what thousands of bulls and goats could never do. We thank you that it is a new covenant, that we have a new relationship with you through your spirit, through the son's sacrifice. Lord, we bless your name for the shed blood of the Savior that ratified your covenant with us. We exalt your name. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, and it is in him alone that we stand. We don't trust in our works. We don't trust in our goodness. We don't trust in our performance. We trust in the name of Christ who gave himself for us. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Let's drink together. This passage concludes with this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in so doing, we are remembering that Jesus is king. He reigns, he rules, and he purchased that kingship with his blood. So let's be about his kingdom, brothers and sisters. Let's be devoted to the word. Let's be devoted to one another, and let's be devoted to prayer or Let's grow in the gospel. Let's grow as a, and let's grow while on. Amen. Let's stand together and worship the king one more time.